You're listening to Hear and Obey, and on this episode, we are talking through Exodus 9, really uh, Exodus, what, 7 through yeah. 11. Uh, Greg just preached Sunday before, end of January, and so covering nine of the 10 plagues. A lot of ground in Exodus to cover here today. Uh, I'm Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined today by Mark Christensen and Matt Groon. And Matt, why don't you read for us the text that Greg read, just that excerpt from these several chapters of Exodus, Exodus 9. Yeah, Exodus 9, uh, verses 13 through 16, says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, and on your servants, and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put my hand and struck, put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you have been, would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Mm-hmm. Lord, we're grateful for your word, grateful for you revealing yourself to us. Without this word without you initiating we would have nothing we'd be left in the dark and you have not left us that way so we're grateful for Mm. your revelation ultimately not just in your judgments on the earth or in you speaking from on high but seen most fully now in your son jesus um, who we pray now to open our eyes that we might understand further this book in christ's name we pray amen amen well a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah. The, the plagues. I, I think it's um, helpful maybe even just to start by considering, you know, why, why would we preach this mm. this way mm. rather than, you know, one plague at a time? Why preach all nine plagues uh, at once? You know, the 10th the one is kind of, there's something significant, yeah. uh, cumulative there that's worth zeroing in on. But um why would we cover all nine of these mm. all at all at once? And you know, my thinking on that is um, there is certainly, as you read them, uh, a clear repetition in each one, a uh, pattern that emerges. Mm-hmm. Um, God, every single one, God speaks. It everyone begins with God speaking. The Lord then said to Moses, um, sends Moses back to Pharaoh. You have that repetition of lines like um, God hardening Pharaoh's heart or Pharaoh hardening his own heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you have, like in this excerpt that, that we read here in Exodus 9, these statements where God is making clear what, what his purpose is. So I, I think that um, in the narrative, it becomes clear as you read it, there really is a collective, mm-hmm. all of these are working together to make one single point. Mm-hmm. N- not like each plague has its own separate mm-hmm. point. All of these plagues taken together have a singular point do you guys see that do you recognize that yeah i think you i mean you see it other places in scripture as well one example i can think of is job um you kind of get into the middle chapters of job and really it's just the same things kind of being milled over and over again and so if we're preaching through something like job um i could see us doing something similar yeah well and i think a lot of the even maybe a lot of the prophets speak similarly where they um are a lot of making the same point, like either that of judgment or salvation, but are, you know, directed at certain, like I, I think of the, uh, the, in Isaiah, 
his direction at the various nations that God uses to bring about the judgment of of on Israel, he yeah. then goes through and judges all of them. So there's a the language can be similar. The mm-hmm. um, but the point is is the same. And I think what's so help, what is helpful about this um, is that God tells us his purpose. Right. <laughs> he, he he doesn't leave it up to you know. I saw that's why I thought what Greg said was like if you just think of it as you know we don't need algae that's going to turn the river red mm-hmm. um god has told us why he turned the river red yeah um and it the primary purpose is to reveal himself to those two nations that to the hebrews and to the egyptians mm-hmm. and then ultimately to the world because now we have record of it so that so that verse 16 is true for this purpose. I have raised you up. So when we get into the questions immediately, when we get into the questions of hardening, who's hardening, what, um, that is an important, you know, we have to come to some conclusions on those, but the, the, the broader question that is answered of like, so why, why is God doing this? Well, Mm -hmm. God's raising up Pharaoh and in fact, causing him to cause his own heart to harden Mm -hmm. for a greater purpose. So that, Mm -hmm. So that this accumulative, because if God wanted to, if the purpose was just to get Israel out, mm-hmm. that could have been done day one. Right. <laughs> there would be no, hey, would you let our people go? God comes in, takes what is right. his, yep. and he's done. And it crossed my mind, um, you know, examples of that. Nehemiah, when the exiles are returning from Babylon, Ezra, um, you read those narratives, it's just kind of this sudden the, the wind shifts, mm-hmm. the king has favor and says, why don't you go back? And, you know, the narrative just says, and the good hand of the Lord was upon me and mm-hmm. he blessed mm-hmm. us along our way. And and God can show himself in that way as yeah. well. And God does work in those those ways elsewhere. Uh, but when he doesn't work that way here. But it's not he, that he's lacking. Exactly. Yeah. So he's intentionally working in a different way um, to pile these things up. I, I think that's further evidence that, God is piling up. He uses that language often here. I'm going to multiply mm-hmm. my wonders. So take them all together. Don't, I think you can miss that if you, if you kind of zoom in on the trees, you miss the forest here. Each yeah. of these plagues alone, if you drill down too much and trying to figure out, okay, the, the flies and what, what's right. all the, the intricacies of this and the significance right. and how did that actually mm-hmm. happen? And you, you can miss the thing that all the signs collectively right. are pointing at. But to that end though, I think Greg did a good job of diving into some of yes. them to say, well, there is some, it's not oh, just, yeah. it's not you know, random. It's not random. Yeah. It's not whatever there is. He, God is striking at every part of, of Egypt. I mean, the yeah. Nile isn't just, Hey, look, I turned the Nile into blood, but blood of course, being a, a, a it's going to be a, a critical component yeah. of, of the life of Israel going forward, even just in the next couple chapters in the blood of the lamb, but then also what it would do to the nation mm-hmm. with that being its highway of economy. Yeah. Um, and then just the even just the visceral reality of boils and gnats and what would happen if your livestock all died. Yeah. Um, so that that and and the fact that they're striking not just a physical reality, but also he's striking at the gods that the Egyptians are turning to. Yeah, um, they want to turn to Horeb and to whoever and to, to Ra, and God just blots out the right. sun. Right. Um, and again, in doing that, it is revealing Himself. He's yeah. revealing Himself. No, I have the power over mm-hmm. whatever you think is going on here it's me i am the lord of lords the king of kings and there is none like me Mm -hmm. that you know once you get that as your kind of interpretive framework as god is seeking to reveal himself and he's also 
seeking to reveal himself to not just the Egyptians, but also to his people, the right. Israelites. They're right. there witnessing all this and saying, whoa, <laughs> yeah. this is the God that Moses is coming to us with, mm-hmm. um, the God that we have <laughs> forgotten over these 400 years. Yeah. So God is revealing himself to that's, everyone. Yeah. yeah, that's crucial context to consider that the Hebrew slaves have been in Egypt 400 years. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have recollection of their forefathers, Abraham and, and God's covenant there, it, it's kind of a distant memory. It doesn't seem very real because they've been enslaved for so long mm-hmm. in a foreign land. Um, and so God making himself known to them is a huge part mm-hmm. of this. And then the original audience of the Pentateuch would be the, the generation that's wandering in the wilderness and through Moses, God delivers this. So it's a record for them as they come to learn who is the Lord. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we often take for granted all the things that we know about God because we have the full canon of scripture considering at that time, um, you know, at each generation, God had only revealed enough for that generation, what they needed. Uh, but this is through God's actions. He really is making a name for himself to them and then now that this has just struck me throughout the sermon series here we are 3000 some years later mm-hmm. this is still um historically you know the most incredible display of <laughs> god's power mm. um and we think of god we know god we know about god through the actions that he carried out right. against egypt whether it's judgment or salvation right you'd brought that up 2 weeks ago and Craig kind of brought that up again these plagues here are not just um, you know, evil being done to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would know the Lord and the Egyptians would know the Lord and his power and authority over them. But it's so that the Israelites would be saved and know and in the coming generations they'd be look be able to look back and see how God loved his people and cared for his people. And so um, wrestling with those two realities, this is judgment, but it also means it's salvation for yeah, yeah. God's people. And so is that wrong on God's part then? I think we would say, no, mm-hmm. this is, I think if you focus more on the judgment, it looks grim mm-hmm. and it is like, these are real things that happen, not just, mm-hmm. um, fairy tale, uh, plagues that came upon them. But, mm-hmm. um, when we look at, these are actually people in history that God saved, yeah. um, from cruelty in Egypt, mm-hmm. then we should rejoice. That's right. And there's, there's also the reality of, you know, this is, this is all in context and, and what's coming with the 10th plague. Um, it, like like Ryan was saying, this is a um, a crescendoing, if you will, that that's leading somewhere. And the you know I think the sermon you preached a few weeks ago that shot across the bow. It's like the opening overture, mm. um, and it's been escalating since. So like in a movie, um, well this is how it works in Prince of Egypt, which is I think is an excellent movie. But it's a this is where the montage happens, and it shows this repeated theme yeah. going through, and then it will slow down again. Because the it's all leading somewhere, mm-hmm. and you know this this tenth plague, the pat the future, you know the Passover that will become the picture of the Old Testament salvation of God's people. Um, it, it is a judgment, and it is an act of judgment, but it's also an act of salvation, right? right? It is God sending out the angel of death, but also providing a substitute, and that is given to all, um, and it mm. is a by faith thing. It, it is mm. will we trust God and he what first of all do we trust God that what's coming is actually coming Israel yeah and do we trust his way of salvation mm. um 
and the Israelites will answer one way and the Egyptians yeah. will answer another. And when you get toward the end, uh, I'm trying to remember which, which plague is it? Um, is it the hail? When um, it says that some of the Egyptians in Pharaoh's court who heard Moses and Aaron deliver that warning uh, sent and had their livestock brought in and they actually took steps. Because yes. by that point, they had seen... All right, every other warning has come true, and this is miserable. So th- you even start to see some Egyptians mm-hmm. um, responding in faith before the end. So God did not harden every Egyptian. Pharaoh's heart is hardened because he's the the head right. of the nation and the one making the decisions. Um, but there were Egyptians there within earshot who heard these warnings and took them seriously. Yeah. And then uh, I don't know the reference off the top of my head, but there is a verse that talks about uh, when they when they do leave and cross the Red Sea, right. they went up a mixed multitude, which yes. means there were Egyptians with them, who left yeah. with them. Right. Which we typically over. We'll get to that, but that's incredible. There there are Egyptians who are like, hey, take us with you, right? Yeah. Which highlights the fact that the promises of God have always been yes. by faith, not by the blood, yeah. um, by the bloodlines. Because we think of, oh, well, this is just for the Israelites. Egyptians, not yeah. possible. But really is the thing that unites them is ultimately, do, and which is always true, is do you trust God or not? Yeah. I, I think if, if the warning, if God had um, come to Noah and Noah had proclaimed this to the world, um, well, there was, the fact that he was the only righteous man on earth, yeah. it, mm-hmm. they would have all said, yeah, no thanks. And then they died. Mm-hmm. And so there's, but that is an but, act but of faith. But hypothetically, right. if anybody I, believed the warning right. and said, by faith, can I come on the boat? I, yeah. believe, I believe you when you say this is the judgment God is sending. Can I take shelter yeah. with you? The answer would have been yes. Right. Yeah. I'm sitting listening to the sermon yesterday and I'm just thinking like plague after plague and like just unrelenting the next thing, the next thing. And I'm thinking like, don't they like get a clue? Um, they're experiencing all this. Don't you think they'd just be like, you know, maybe after the second one, uh, after the frogs, like, all right, yeah. <laughs> Some point. Something's happening. I think God's doing something here. But I think what it left me with is just, one, God's sovereign over this situation. He's doing it for a purpose. But then, two, the depths of um, the sin in our own hearts mm-hmm. of, like, I can be characteristic to that oh, that same kind of unbelief yeah. where God is working and doing things in my life and yet I'm not seeing it and not recognizing it or stubbornly trying to disregard what might be happening. So, yeah. um, and, and how kind of God to, to use these type of things in our lives in order to reveal himself to us. In, in, you know, we look at this like you were describing, Mark, of like, how often do I take the events of my life as, well, that's, you know, that's just quote unquote worldly or mm. earthly or has God has nothing to do with what's happening. It's not spiritual. Right. No. Like a, a meeting or work or, you know, sports or fill in the blank. No, God is, is, is sovereign over all of those mm. things too. And he's actively using all those things in order to reveal himself to us for a purpose that we might know him mm-hmm. um, and, and trust him ultimately. I found the verse in, in chapter nine. It's right after the verses we read actually. Um, verse 19 Moses specifically says now therefore send get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them so even there there's a a gracious warning it's not just Mm -hmm. you're going to die and there's nothing you can do there's a call to repentance and the very next verse says verse 20 then whoever feared the, the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord 
left his slaves and his livestock in the mm. field. So, so that's the, the dividing line that's being drawn. And the fact that in so many of these plagues, and Greg mentioned this, God differentiates. Um, you know, there's darkness in all of Egypt, mm-hmm. but not in the land of Goshen where the Hebrews are. Um, God is able to distinguish. And, and that kind of goes back to that point about acts of judgment are acts of deliverance. Mm-hmm. God is able to send judgment on the wicked and save and preserve his people through the midst of it which yeah. builds our faith. I think it's, is it Jude that makes a, a point of that? If God is able to save righteous Lot out of Sodom and, and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. how much more is he able to save you out of the midst of uh, this, this crooked world? So mm-hmm. there's, um, but, but that's the distinction. Faith, if you trust God, if you fear his word, which is the application for us. Yeah. <laughs> take, take God at his word here. And, and you know, we're in Exodus. Genesis, we saw... A lot of this, um, by you know, Adam and Eve failed to, in that, in where God was yeah. explicit with them of, of of what would happen um, and what they should do, and they put their faith in the serpent and into themselves rather than in God. We see that in God's call, or we see that in Noah acting by faith. We see that uh, by you know believing God and and acting accordingly. We see that in Abraham, um, not just in leaving his family, but also being called by God to sacrifice his son and he is willing like imagine the that process of bringing your son bound and and then when isaac says where's the wood he just says god will provide Mm. even if you're the provision (laughs) god will provide Mm -hmm. um and we just we see we that's been a running theme from the beginning and now in exodus that's just happening on a larger scale um and then all the way to the cross where god provides the ultimate sacrifice and then now we by faith trust in that um it's just how God works yeah. and how gracious of him to do that for us mm-hmm. um, where we who have sinned against him, we who have hardened our own hearts against him. Um, and we haven't talked about really the intricacies of who's hardening who. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. but the thing, I, you know, when you read it, it it's not really that all, all that confusing. When you read it just as it is, yeah. um, who's hardening his heart? Pharaoh is. And who is? God is. Yeah. Well, okay, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, you know, in the passage that Greg read here, it's a great uh, representation of a theme that's repeated in uh, multiple chapters here. It's in Exodus 10, Exodus 11, Exodus 14, where God repeats this point. Um, I'm doing this. I'm hardening Pharaoh's heart so that I may show these signs of mine, Hmm. so that I may display my wonders so that they will know that I'm the Lord. I will mm-hmm. get glory over Pharaoh. So God keeps saying that over and over. Repetition makes it clear that this is the main point in the text we read here in chapter nine. Um, the wording, it, it, it says, God even says, I could have cut you off by now. <laughs> by this time, I, I could have, uh, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off. But for this purpose, I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And, and then he ends with that. Um, uh, oh, earlier he says that so that you may know there's none like me in all the earth. I think that gets at the ultimate goal of God, not just in the Exodus, but in all of redemptive history. All of creation. All of creation. Yeah. Mm. This, is, this is what, this is the reason God does anything God does. Um, to make his own name and his own glory yeah. known, to magnify his glory, yeah. um, to make a name for himself. But 
oftentimes that is met with for a lot of people questions like, is that fair? Mm. <laughs> is, is that, is that right? Is that selfish for God to do what he does in order to make his name great? Um, to make his power known? How, how does this text help with that? How have you guys thought about that? Yeah, I think in the end, is that the question, is that selfish for God to do that? Well, not if you come to know the God of Scripture and who he's revealed himself to be in creating. Uh, he didn't need to create, but uh, he created people in his image that reflected uh, his nature in a sense. And ultimately, in the end, did God need to uh, send his son to save us from our sins? No, he didn't. Um, but he did uh, gave up his own only begotten son uh, so that we might be reunited with the Father. And so that says something about who this God is. Is that selfish for him? Well, no, he gave up himself. Mm. Um, Cost him something. Yeah. 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 I think these, when we talk about these things, it always reminds me of Ephesians um, 1 and 2, but particularly in, in chapter 2, uh, when Paul is telling about our status, our status before God, um, before his inter- intervention, that we were dead in our trespasses, and, and describes the, the bad news that we got ourselves in. It's, that's clear throughout mm. the whole Bible, that we put ourselves mm. there, that we are responsible for the fact that we are dead in our trespasses, walking in the ways of the world, following the course of the world, on and on. But God... We were children of wrath, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and here's the purpose, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus. So, you know, we can we can talk about the... You know, but is that fair of God? Well, it's certainly glorious mm. what he's done because God in his infinite wisdom has decided that it would be a better story to save sinners than to just create beings that, mm. that worshiped mm. him forever. Rather, the, the ultimate purpose of the question, why did God create the world? But then, you know, all of his goals, subordinate goals, including pharaoh and mm-hmm. all these other <clears throat> evil actors what is the purpose well the purpose is for him to display his grace to sinners in christ jesus so we are just recipients of what of what he's already what he has already done in christ so you know we talk about all the intricacies of who gets where but ultimately it's christ he is the one who is put forward as the most glorious thing in all yeah. the world and and God, in his infinite wisdom, has, has determined, if, that, if I can use that word, <laughs> has determined, has ordained that the death of the Son of God is the most glorious thing mm. on behalf of sinners, mm-hmm. is, the, is more glorious than had we not sinned mm-hmm. and just been in the garden. Um, you know, there's a lot of more questions that still are, that come up, but if that is what Scripture is proclaiming here in Ephesians 2, think of uh, Revelation, was it 13? 13 with the book of the life of the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. Um, you know, Romans nine, these, these God using, uh, creating vessels of wrath in order that he might display himself. And he's talking about Pharaoh. Mm. Um, all of this 
to the praise of his glorious grace in Christ Jesus to us. Um, and so we can sit here and try and put God on trial of like, well, that's not fair. How'd you do it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the posture that scripture is meaning to communicate to us and what the posture the Israelites should have when they see all these things happening. And then later when they're given the Passover ceremony to protect them from the angel of death, it's, it's one of gratitude. It's yeah. one of, it's humbling and, and should induce us to worship and mm-hmm. ask the question, why would God even save me? Yeah. Um, that changes the tone of how we read these things. When mm-hmm. we recognize the bigness of God and then what he's done in order to save us, um, yeah, that, that changes the, the yeah. discussion to me. Totally. Yeah, when you think about the Hebrews enslaved in Egypt, um, there's a way to read Exodus. This is a, a famous, popular mm-hmm. story. Um, there's a way to read it through like liberation theology Mm. um, where essentially any oppressed marginalized people are virtuous because they are oppressed. Um, And so then they have this, this value and worth and um, superiority by virtue of their position. Um, So that would mean, you know, that essentially then this would just be about how deserving the Hebrews are of this because of the position that they're Mm -hmm. in. Yeah. And and Moses puts that to death. Yeah. In Deuteronomy 6, (laughs) he just says, nope, that's not why I set my affection on you. Exactly. And and I think another part of that is um, thinking about then ultimately what do those people need? They Mm -hmm. need to be set free, Um, but just set free to go their own way and do their own thing. And this makes clear. God's ultimate goal is not just to free them, but to bring them to himself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very different. You know, if you read this in a a man centered way, um, essentially you just need a rescuer deliverer to set them free and then they can go wander or do whatever they want. By any means necessary. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, And God is here saying, no, I'm, I'm going to give you something even better than freedom. I'm going to give you freedom to know me. Hmm. I'm going to reveal myself to you so that you can know me because that is the best thing for you. And and I think the comfort for us then in seeing that the motive of God is not how deserving or how lovely or how worthy the Hebrews were, uh, or even in our own salvation, the the motive of God in saving me is not how deserving I was. Uh, it, It takes a ton of pressure off of us because in those moments when you are aware of your own sin and your own guilt and and you realize um, there's nothing about me deserving. Mm -hmm. Why does God love me? How how will he continue to maintain his promises to me when I don't deserve it? The answer is always because it was never about you deserving it. Mm. It's always been in him. Uh, His motive for saving you was not how deserving you are, but just his sheer pleasure in making himself known to you for his glory. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's just a comfort and a, yeah. and a relief to know God is committed to giving me the best possible thing in the universe, which is himself mm. for no reason in me, but simply because it pleases him yeah. to do so. He wants to make himself known. Amen. So which fits with the rest of what we're going to see the rest of Exodus is even about right. Right. After. So we're only in chapter nine, 10, 11, you know, they're going to get out real soon. Right. <laughs> this is almost over. And, and then, then what? Yeah. Well, he, you know, if, if God, if you hear, this is such a great purpose statement so that I might be known and that, you know, this revelation, well, the rest of Exodus is going to be about God continuing 
after they're set free in continuing to set up, you know, what we would read as we, you know, flip through the ordinances and mm-hmm. the tabernacle. Well, it's all for that same purpose that they might dwell with him and yeah. that he might dwell with them and that they might have access to him. Mm-hmm. He, he just keeps he, his action and initiative is to get rid of or to de- not get rid of, but to deal with all the obstacles that that man that we have set up between mm. ourselves and God and he is acting he he is the one who's on the front foot coming for us and he even sets up these quote unquote ordinances these um you know these structures and you know all the formalities and the rules that we read and like well this is boring well all those are for the good of the people and ultimately for our good and they're all types and shadows pointing to a greater tabernacle right. a greater Savior, somebody who, who isn't just going to free us to go our own way, but free us so that we might, like like he says, be raised, like Paul says, be raised up with him, that's Christ, seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So ultimately mm-hmm. to dwell with him, that's the aim of it all. That's right. Yeah, when, when we were thinking about uh, titles for this sermon series, uh, others have used some form of... Um, you know that drawing attention to that 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 there are two parts to this being drawn out of slavery drawn into relationship with god mm-hmm. two parts so it's easy to think of exodus just as the leaving leaving mm-hmm. egypt leaving slavery but they're saved into uh they become a people they become a worshiping people mm-hmm. they become god's people um and and that is the the culmination of it uh, so see that here yeah just remembering back to when we started Exodus, Craig had said, you know, the purpose, Exodus was written to a generation, entire group of people who did not know the Lord. And so all these things are being recorded, including these plagues, so that, like Greg said, the coming generations might know the Lord. And so keep telling the story yeah, um, yeah. wherever you are. Yeah. So that we might know the Lord. Yeah. That's right. It's the same, same purpose for us today. Yes. Amen. Well, uh, it's encouraging to me to be reminded that is God's purpose for us uh, mm. to be known by us to be worshipped um, we are part of that fulfillment when God says you, you will know that there's no God like me in all the earth here we are in this corner of the earth in Sioux Falls South Dakota that's right we know that about God today because he's acted in history he's revealed himself to us mm. and uh, so this is a fulfillment of his word to Pharaoh through mm. Moses and Aaron mm. praise God thank you guys mm-hmm.